This is Perspectives, the show where an examination of our many differences often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condes Presley. We're focusing on two critical issues in our community today. A little later on, we're going to talk about curing cancer in children. But first, our focus is on hunger. Today's the day for the Atlanta Community Food Bank's largest event, their Hunger Run Walk in downtown Atlanta. Things get started at about 12 o'clock at 755 Hank Aaron Drive. The Run Walk kicks off at 2 o'clock. This year's event features live music, things for your kids to do, and lots of great food. How about that? From some of Atlanta's best food trucks. Since 1984, this event has united thousands of people from faith groups, corporations, and families, all who are dedicated to helping feed the nearly one in five Georgians who face hunger. This race is a beloved Atlanta tradition, and it benefits the food bank and five other partner organizations, Episcopal Community Foundation for Middle and North Georgia, the Jewish Federation of Greater Atlanta, Lutheran Services of Georgia, Presbytery of Greater Atlanta, and St. Vincent de Paul Society. Our guest in the studio is Kyle Wade, who is the CEO of the Atlanta Community Food Bank. The Food Bank is one of the largest hunger relief organizations in the Southeast. Uh, We uh, serve 29 counties in Metro Atlanta and North Georgia. Uh, in, In that geography, we support a network of 600 partner organizations. Uh, They're all independent nonprofit organizations. Many of them are faith-based groups uh, based in churches or synagogues or other institutions. And through that network of great partners, uh, we distribute about 70 million pounds of food every year or the equivalent of 57 million meals uh, to some 750,000 people. Uh, So our story is really about how we are able to um, mobilize people to engage the community uh, and to help them, uh, empower them uh, to really make a difference in the lives of people in need uh, in their own communities and neighborhoods. The food that is distributed to the more than 600 faith-based groups, part of the partnerships, the co-ops that exist with the food bank, is is that food given to them or do they, they purchase that from you? How does that work? So uh, we don't uh, charge the agencies that we support uh, for the food uh, per se. We, we uh, charge a handling fee uh, that really amounts to pennies per pound. It's about five cents per pound of food that we distribute uh, is the fee that we charge our partners uh, for the food that they get. That's on average. You know, it varies depend, depending on the item and um, where it comes from, how long we've had it, and so forth. Uh, But fundamentally, it's about uh, really covering some, not all, but some of our um, uh, cost of providing the food, of the labor and the just operational expense that we have to incur in order to make that food available. But the food itself is free, and it it is a great value uh, for them. And then ultimately, the people who get it from those agencies Uh, They are not charged for the food that they receive. I was reading that many of the clients, families who benefit through either the agency or directly from the food bank, my gosh, we have a lot of working families, people who are, you know, getting up and going to work every day who, as you say, still have that need. It's really an important point. You know, I think uh, many of us, when we think about hunger, you know, an image pops into our head of, 
uh, folks who are just kind of chronically in need of support. You know, maybe they don't, maybe they're homeless, maybe they, they are living permanently in some kind of shelter environment. Uh, but in reality, the vast majority of people we serve are actually working families. Uh, more than 60% have someone in the home working outside the home. Uh, and just at the end of the month, the, the, the income doesn't meet all of their basic needs um, all of the time. And then that's when they need some help. They need a, um, an outstretched hand to help them make it through those, those times where uh, there's just not enough resources to, to provide the food they need for their families. Uh, I think that's been a significant shift since the recession when so many people lost jobs and then as they've gone back to work, they're working in jobs that pay them less or where they work fewer hours than they did back in 2008. Uh, and so because of that, more and more of the people in our community um, are really struggling to uh, meet their basic needs every single month. And that's a real problem that we all have to reckon with. So. It's hard for me to believe that people can be against, and I'm going to pull up some of the statistics, one in four kids, 26.1% of Georgia children struggle with hunger. Uh, 59% of your client households, as you said, report at least one employed person at some point in the last year, and yet they struggle to put food on the table. 82% of the households that your partner agencies serve have to choose between paying for food or being able to get to work or paying the power bill or paying the medical bills. What are the stories that people who want to advocate and have access and influence to lawmakers, what are some of the things that we need to tell them to support so that we can make a dent in these these numbers? Well, I think it's really important to tell real stories about real people, right? So uh, when we think about, you know, someone in your community, I know I've met um, recently uh, at one of um, our agencies, a, a single mom, her name was Cindy. She's got a couple of kids. She's working. And just, you know, the income that she earns uh, in the part-time jobs and multiple jobs that she works isn't enough to meet all of those basic needs. She's working her tail off, uh, but it's just not enough. And she needs help getting access to uh, better job opportunities. There are things we can do from a policy perspective around that, but telling that story is really important. And I think you asked a moment ago, why would someone object to yeah. this? I think um, it's really a question of framing, you know, what we're trying to talk about. Uh, when If we frame the issue as, man, we're running up huge deficits in our country and we've got to find ways to cut expenses, well, Absolutely, that's a problem. But if we frame the issue as how are we investing in our community, how, how are we investing in our people, the people who um, are our workers, the people who spend money to drive our economy, uh, if that's the frame and we're thinking about how can we help more people have more bandwidth in their lives to build a stronger future for them and ultimately a stronger future for all of us, that's a very different frame. And that's, I think, the frame we're trying to create at the food bank uh, for the conversation and certainly um, where we need help from folks who really want to help tell that story to lawmakers tomorrow. Uh, even to the dollar store and buying. Uh, I can food. buy a can for a dollar and you can still buy it for we less than that. We can probably buy quite a few more cans for that same dollar. That being said, some people, my mom is this way, just really like the experience of bringing their cans down to the food bank. And so we want to make that possible too. The great news is we have a way you can do both. You can do a food and fund drive, 
both to raise some food and to raise some money. And there, there's information on our website, uh, kind of a toolkit on how you make that happen. And what's that web address again? It's acfb.org. That's acfb.org. Joining us is Kathleen Ruddy. She is the Chief Executive Officer of the St. Baldrick's Foundation, planning a couple of events here in Atlanta in the next couple of weeks to raise money for cancer research. Kathleen, thanks for taking a few minutes to spend with us today. Tell us about the events that are planned for Atlanta. Well, they're very exciting, Condance, and thanks so much for having me on. At St. Baldrick's events, brave volunteers shave their heads bald in solidarity with children with cancer. And in that process, they ask their friends and family, coworkers, everybody they know, to sponsor them. And the monies that are raised through that are then directed by the foundation to life-saving childhood cancer research. There are some people in the metropolitan Atlanta area who might not be as familiar with your foundation. Tell us a little bit about yourselves and the work that you do. Well, we are now the largest non-government funder of childhood cancer research grants. We're all about overcoming the most fatal disease of childhood. Cancers kill more children than many other diseases combined, and there really isn't enough resources today at work trying to develop better therapies that will not only let children survive, but help them have a better quality of life during their treatment and beyond. So the grass, um, the St. Baldrick's Foundation is a grassroots organization. Volunteers are our power, and they plan all these events in communities across America to welcome members of the community in to become cancer heroes and to help uh step up for children with cancer and to um, raise awareness of the problem and invite people to be part of the solution. Um, you know, I always say I'm not a scientist and I would have, I, I could never have succeeded at that, but I found another way to serve that passion of making sure that kids get the futures they deserve. And at the St. Baldrick's Foundation, everybody, no matter what your your age, your profession, your, um, ba- your background, you can be... Um, part of curing childhood cancers. Kathleen, is it accurate that only 4% of U.S. federal funding is dedicated exclusively to childhood cancer research? So that's one of the reasons why St. Baldrick's exists, working to raise the money to fill the gap? It's very true, and it's a stunning statistic, but there's a little more information that I think your audience would want to know. So there are as many forms of cancers that affect children as there are adults. There's over a hundred types of pediatric cancers, over a hundred types of adult cancers. And it's true that only 4% of the federal cancer budget goes to pediatrics. However, um, there is a portion of the budget that goes to what they call basic science, which is just about discovery. And And we don't know when we start that kind of science where it's going to lead, and it may point in directions that help children. It may point in directions that help adults or both. And so um, while 4% goes exclusively to kids and 67 exclusively to adults, that remaining portion could benefit either one. But what's very, um, I think what's the really, the big stunner is that, okay, of the federal money, 4% goes to kids. And that's the largest pie available for kids. In the pharmaceutical world, less than 1% of the pharmaceutical world's cancer budget 
goes to pediatrics. And in the philanthropic world, the vast majority of organizations that we know and love are focused on adult cancers. They may feature children in their advertising, but children do not feature prominently in their funding. And so it's very important for a donor who wants to help children with cancer to understand what the mission of that organization is and how they spend money. At the St. Baldrick's Foundation, 100% of our research is focused on children with cancer. When we talk about those little ball-headed warriors, kids with cancer, how big is the problem? Are we, are we beginning to make a dent in this where the survival rates are going up, or is it still as significant as the many adults who are suffering from the many kind of cancers that strike grown-ups? Well, it's a good question, um, and it really depends largely on the disease that a child is diagnosed with, um, how many children have that particular diagnosis a year, and so therefore how many new things have researchers been able to try. So I would say overall we've made tremendous progress. When I first started in this work 16 years ago this week, um, it was fascinating because a doctor that I met then told me when he began his career, the goal was to get children diagnosed with cancer a couple of weeks of life. That was it. The goal was not a survival because they didn't have any prayer of survival. Their goal was just to get them to live for a couple of weeks. And so we have gone from that 50 plus years ago to today where 85% of kids can survive. However, um, there's some caveats to that survival statistic. It's a great survival story. It talks to the success and the progress that research has accomplished. But the largest number of kids with cancer have a form of leukemia called acute lymphoblastic leukemia. So because there are so many more kids with that disease, we've been able to make more progress in fighting it. And so that skews the numbers. There are other pediatric cancers like something called DIPG, which is a type of brain tumor in children that has virtually no survival rate. And it's um, no children survive that. And so, and there's every um, kind of rate in between the spectrum because there are so many cancers. So, you know, research is working, but we need more of it. And we don't have enough resources now. And while we'd like to say that awareness alone is, um, is enough, it's not. We need money. We need cash people because it's only with the money will you be able to pay to develop these therapies that will extend children's lives and improve them and give them the futures they deserve. Kathleen, it sounds as if a child is strong enough to survive cancer. Their battle is far from over. Unfortunately, that's true. By the age of 45, the average child of cancer survivor, um, more than two-thirds of those survivors will experience a life-threatening late effect. And many of the late effects are not life-threatening, but let me tell you what they are. Some of them are brain damage, heart disease, infertility, loss of limbs, loss of eyes, loss of vision, hearing, um, and a host of other issues. So the cost of survival is very hard on these children. Condens, if you or I, heaven forbid, were to require um, treatment for cancer and chemotherapy, we might not see, you know, the, the drugs we're getting are very toxic also. <clears throat> However, they, the, the side effects of those drugs may not manifest for 30 or 40 years. So when you're already an adult 
an additional 30 or 40 years of life looks pretty good. But when you're two, you know, to have these secondary problems and third, um, second and third cancers and all these other things that we've discussed, that's not, you haven't gotten the benefit of your full life. And, you know, for children with cancer, you know, we measure cancer survival rates in terms of five years. So if the average age of a child at diagnosis is six and you survive the first five years, you're considered a survivor. Even if you relapse in the sixth year and you pass away, you're still counted as a survivor initially. Well, that doesn't look like success to you if you're 11 or 12 when you pass away. So I don't think your parents would say that that was a successful outcome. They'd be grateful for the extra time you got, but you still were robbed of your childhood and your life. So we're trying to change all of that. And so many of these children, it, this, this diagnosis is so damaging to them because their minds and bodies are still developing. So they carry lifelong scars from their treatment. And, and that's the ones who are fortunate to survive. And obviously for the children who aren't that fortunate, um, the, the outcome's even worse. And for kids during the treatment, it is, a, it is often violent. It's inhumane. The drugs that we're giving these kids, you know, despite all the progress we've made in research, it is, it, kids, because they're so resilient, I think do much better on the whole in treatment than many adults do because kids are so resilient and they just want to live. They just want to have their childhood. A little boy that I knew very well who um, fought cancer for eight years before it took his life, um, said all he wanted in life was to be a cancer-free boy. And that really sums up what we're about here, is letting kids be cancer-free. And that is certainly a lofty and very noble goal. How can our listeners get involved with St. Baldrick's beyond making a donation to the foundation? Well, we have wonderful volunteer opportunities. As I mentioned when we started talking Um, We're a volunteer-powered organization, so volunteers run every event that are held all over the country. We have 21 in the state of Georgia, many of those coming up in the Atlanta area, and and volunteers can help at the event, help to put the event together, participate, um, promote it, etc. They can also sign up to shave their head if they wish to. And we love to have people do that because they become a walking billboard for the cause. It's very powerful. I will tell all the ladies in your audience who might be thinking, I don't know if that's for me. I've done it twice. It's incredibly empowering because you realize beauty really comes from within. And you develop reservoirs of confidence or you draw on reservoirs of confidence that you didn't know you had. And I would say it's an incredibly transformative experience. Um, it's, I have so many volunteers every year who say to me, this is the most important thing I've ever ha- done to help another person. And many of whom did it because their buddy challenged them or what have you, um, or because it sounded like the right thing to do. But when they sit in that chair and that professional barber starts shaving their head and they're looking at those little kids with, who are fighting cancer, it all comes together in a very powerful way. And they'll say, I'm yours for life. I, I, spiritually adopt these kids, and I'm in this fight with them, and I want to help them survive. And these events are going on all throughout the Atlanta area. We welcome um, people to sign up. You can go to our website, which is stbaldricks.org, and we don't spell out the word saint. It's just S-T, 
baldricks.org, and you can learn there. You can search for events in the area. Um, if you go to stbaldricks.org slash Atlanta, you'll find all the Atlanta area events. And um, pick one and sign up. Come down and support us. Cheer on all those brave shavies. Um, meet families who are fighting this um, fight and going through this cancer journey and be inspired. It's incredibly uplifting. And a gift to St. Baldrick's is not just a gift to this foundation. It, I'm told it has a ripple effect that can change many lives, correct? That is so true. Um, we work really hard to make sure that every dollar we receive is um, used very well. And when we fund research, um, it's important to know that we have a very rigorous review process. Our philosophy is that we don't try, we don't say we're going to only sponsor or support research at one hospital because we believe that no one hospital, no matter how well supported, has a monopoly on talent, on good ideas, on innovation. And every institution that treats children with cancer in this country, which are over 200 of them, um, have the ability to make breakthroughs. And so all of them apply to us for grants. And then we put together the foremost team of reviewers in the country, experts in every discipline, every type of childhood cancer, um, at every point in their career. And they come together, all those thought leaders, and they review each of those grants. And they advise us which are the ones that have the greatest potential to make progress for kids. And the sad thing is, Condon, that every year we have far more research that's really exciting and promising than we have funds to make that research possible. So the fundraising piece is the only piece that's lacking. We can develop cures for cancer, but we need the money to do it. And so um, we can assure you that when you support the St. Baldrick's Foundation, you don't have to try and guess who's that doctor who has the winning idea that's going to move the needle and really help kids. We can do that for you because we have that team of scientists equipped to tell you that. Um, and we've had some tremendous progress that's been made since the St. Baldrick's Foundation came into existence. And it's been really, really exciting. Um, increased survivals for many types of childhood cancer, clinical trials that had been languishing for years because institutions couldn't afford to um, open them up so kids could be enrolled when they got there. Um, we've changed that. We helped realize a new drug for childhood cancers, only the third new drug in 20 years available to pediatric oncologists to treat children with cancer. And to put that in perspective for your audience, in the adult cancer space, there are over 900 drugs in development right now. And kids have only had three new ones in 20 years. So the work we're doing is so important. And that's why we work so hard to make sure that we put as much of it as possible into research. I've always believed, Kathleen, that nonprofit work is, is God's work. And doing this to help raise money and to save the lives of children with cancer is is beyond extraordinary and special. How, where, where did you get the calling to do this? Because it, it's hard and rewarding at the same time. It certainly is. Every day is a bit of a roller coaster. We get good news and bad news, and it's hard sometimes um, to not dwell in the, the terrifying bad news that you get. Um, but m look, my both my parents are cancer survivors. I've lost a number of loved ones to cancer. Many others have survived, and I look at it as paying it forward. And the things I've seen my loved ones go through, I don't want anybody to have to go through, let alone a child. And I have 
through this work, I have come to love so many children. They are so brave and amazing. And we're really proud that we can do something to help them, but equally frustrated that we can't do more faster. But if we had more help, we could. And there are so many vision scientists who have dedicated their lives and who work. I mean, these people do not rest. Nor should they. Well, we've got opportunities for our listeners to come out to Shaven Heads and Saven Babies, March 4th, March 9th. Uh, we're going to be at Rira Irish Pub and at the Wing Cafe. I've got it right here up on the website. Easy way for people to find it online. St. Baldrick's, that's S-T-B-A-L-D-R-I-C-K-S dot org. R-I-C-K-S dot org. Slash Atlanta. Kathleen Ruddy, uh, God bless you. Thanks for your time this morning. Thank you very much, Connie. Perspectives is a half hour we produce with you in mind. If there's something you think we ought to be talking about, let me hear from you. Tweet me, condo 29 on Twitter, or leave a message on our Facebook page. We do appreciate your listening and hope you'll be back next week at this same time as we examine another perspective. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.